Well, this morning, turn to Psalm 119, have a little more more devotional type thoughts uh, for the Sunday school class this morning on this uh, passage in Psalm 119. As you know, Psalm 119 has, it's, it's the longest of all the Psalms with all these verses in it that speak to the law of God and give us many little vignettes uh, throughout it. And one day I was reading through and I, and I was, uh, my thoughts really uh, began to meditate on this verse 49, really uh, en- enjoyed just uh, meditating on it. And I thought I'd bring you some of my uh, meditations on that verse. Verse 49 of Psalm 119, remember the word to your servant upon which you have caused me to hope. A very short little verse, but it's just full of hope and blessing for the Christian. What we have here is a prayer or a petition, but in the prayer there's also a statement of faith. The psalmist is asking God to remember his own word. This is the prayer. And he's also stating the fact that his faith is built upon that very word. This is what brings him hope. Uh, Nothing else will do. Uh, This is the solid foundation for all of our faith, the word of God. So there's so much in this just little statement right here. Uh, I want us to consider both these, uh, these statements as a prayer and a statement of faith. Remember the word to your servant upon which you have caused me to hope. Well, uh, he states that God has caused him to hope. He says, you have caused me to hope. God, you're the one that's caused me to have hope. The truth is, of course, whatever, whenever we build upon the solid foundation of God's word, we we have something to hope in. You know, people hope in a lot of different things. What if we build upon the word of man? What if we build our hope upon man's word? You know, and many in our country are doing that. Uh, next year is 2024, and you're going to see a lot of people that are building their hope on who gets elected and uh, putting their hope in man. But to build anything upon the word of man is a shaky foundation, uh, even if that man is the leader of a great nation. Uh, my uh, son and daughter-in-law recently hosted a family from Afghan, and he was, the, uh, uh, he was the interpreter for my son-in-law when he was stationed in Afghanistan. And uh, uh, think about this family, and he's, he, he, this man was in hiding for over a year, and uh, finally were able to get him to the States and get his family to the States safely, but his brother over there is still in hiding, and if he's found, they will kill him. They'll execute him and his whole family. And I think about how our nation has betrayed those people. And, uh, but he, he was hoping that the word of the United States was good. <laughs> the word of the United States was not good. Now, you'd think the most powerful nation in the world, trust in that? No, no. No, no, the most powerful man, the most powerful nation cannot be trusted in. You know, uh, my security in Christ and yours, our assurance of salvation is only as strong as we believe in God's integrity and in his ability to keep his promises. Is God willing to keep his promises? 
And can he keep his promises? You see, that's, everything is built on that. Because even if men desire to keep their promises, they don't have the ability. It's so many, so many cases. Think of Jeremiah 17. Turn there for just a moment. I'm going to look at a couple different passages of Scripture. But Jeremiah uh, 17. Jeremiah 17, verses 5 through 8. He says this, Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man, and makes flesh his trust, whose heart departs from the Lord. For he shall be like a shrub in the desert, and shall not see when good comes, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness." in a salt land which is not inhabited. You know, just the opposite here in verses uh, 7 and 8. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, and whose hope is the Lord. For he should be like a tree planted by the waters, which spreads out its roots by the river, and will not fear when heat comes, but its leaf will be green and will not be, and will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will cease from yielding fruit. So you see the, just the opposites here. He that trusts in man, cursed is he that trusts in man. And, uh, uh, but blessed is he that trusts in the Lord. Because the psalmist's trust is in the right place, then he has the right kind of hope. He has a hope that is actually secure. It's a, it's a true hope. You know, hope is awfully important in our lives. Uh, people are dying for lack of hope all around us. And people die without hope because they can't bear to live without hope. And everybody needs something in their life to give them hope. And the psalmist wisely says that it is God that has caused him to hope. So, so as I've said, the cause of true hope is in God alone. Now, a couple things I want to mention. First, there are those that have a hope, but not a hope founded in the word of God. Uh, just to function in life, they have to have some kind of hope. Uh, you need to examine the, cr- the ground or the foundation of, of what is giving you reason to live. Uh, people garner hope from a lot of different things. Let me just name a few. Uh, work. Uh, people often get satisfaction and a measure of hope from their work. R- relationships, even more so. Family and relationships. Uh, Youth and health. I remember when I was a young man and strong and healthy, and, and uh, I remember how I got hope from that. I thought, well, it's, death is a long ways off, and I'm young, and I can conquer the world, basically. And, or at least I thought. The possibilities of life when you're very young seem to be immense. And uh, the anticipation of pleasure. I remember hearing of a young man that really... Did want to, did want Christ to return, but not quite yet. He, he was still anticipating his marriage and and um, uh, you know some uh, youthful enjoyments, and uh, so he, he wanted the return of Christ, but just just he hoped it didn't come quite yet. <laughs> so so uh, uh, the anticipation of pleasure gives people hope. Um, and wealthy people often hope in their riches. And we could go on and on. Now, these categories I've mentioned are not necessarily bad things. Uh, there's nothing wrong with the enjoyment of these things. God wants us to enjoy them. Uh, uh, but, uh, but none of these things are sufficient grounds for our hope for the simple reason 
that all these things are temporal and fleeting. Our work, our relationships, our our youth and our health, I mean, all these things uh, can evaporate in a moment. One doctor's diagnosis, one visit to the doctor's office, and it's all gone. Or uh, uh, one bad thing happening at work and uh, losing a person's uh, uh, job and things like that. All these things can be evaporated quickly and easily. If hope is built on circumstances, that's basically temporal circumstances, things that are going on in our life that are temporal, we must not trust in any of those things. We must realize these things are all fleeting But there's another problem with finding hope in these things, and that's the problem of idolatry. Because that which causes us hope is that which we cling to, and it is our chief desire. These things can take place in our lives, and they they make for a very poor God. And they also displease God when we, when we put our, our trust in them. Solomon, he talks about, uh, you know, Solomon, he was, the, he was the richest man that ever lived and had everything. And, and uh, there's nobody living today that can say that they, uh, they uh, have uh, a greater prominence, greater wisdom, greater, uh, greater uh, success in, the life, in life or whatever than, than Solomon who was the greatest king in the Middle East at that time and, and very, very wealthy. And, and, and when he, he said in Ecclesiastes, he said when he surveyed everything that he'd done, all the buildings that he's, he'd built and all his great accomplishments and all the trees he'd planted and uh, just all of his wealth, he looked upon it and, and uh, in his conclusion is found in Ecclesiastes chapter 2.11. We won't turn there, I'll just read it. He said, Then I looked on all the works that my hands had done And on the labor in which I had toiled, and indeed, all was vanity and grasping for the wind. There was no profit under the sun. Have you ever tried to grasp the wind? (laughs) You can't can't hold on to the wind, can you? And that's that's, uh, his analogy. So what happens in the lives of these people when their temporal hopes fail them? Uh, We see it all the time. People that we know in the world, hopeless people that are falling into hopeless activities that uh, sometimes are self-destructive, like drug abuse and alcohol abuse and pursuit of pleasure. And, and we see them grow bitter and resentful and miserable and disillusioned with life. And they, this is, sometimes they even end their lives. But uh, it's, I've noticed in life that... It seems to me, as I, as I consider older people, that a person either grows in grace and they grow more humble, more tender, more gracious in Christ, or they tend to grow more bitter, more resentful, more uh, hard, uh, hardened. And I, it's, it's a general rule that I see. I, you know, it, it just, I see people that are following Christ in their old age, and I and I see Christ formed in their lives, and I see that gentleness and goodness of God working in their life. And, and, uh, but I've seen other people that grow old, and they don't know the Lord, and uh, you, just, you just see it in their whole attitude about everything. It just, they don't have faith in Christ. Uh, but I think, you know, really the ones that are the worst off are those that live their entire lives 
in their deluded enjoyment of temporal pleasures. And, and there are many that fall into that category. Uh, Asaph wrote about them in Psalm 73. He says, there are no pangs in their death. They're not in trouble like other men, nor are they plagued like other men. They have more than heart could wish. And, uh, and of course, if you know that Psalm, Asaph was troubled by that. He, he, he said he almost stumbled because of it. And he even said, he said, surely I've cleansed my heart in vain for all day long. I've been plagued and chastened every morning. Sometimes we see a worldly person, they're prospering, they're, they're doing great, and, and they're going out uh, having these great vacations, and everything's fine, and they're happy, and, and all of that, and... Sometimes the, the Christian over there on the other side of the street, he's, he's got these things in his life that are just plaguing him and causing him uh, endless trouble. And, and it feels like he's being chastened by God every day. That's the way Asaph felt. You know? He looked at these guys and, and, and his problem, he was looking at other people and he wasn't realizing, he wasn't realizing the, the big picture. And it says uh, later on in the psalm, as as I'm sure you know, he said he came to his senses when he went into the sanctuary of God. When he went into the sanctuary of God, he saw their end, and he saw the bigger picture. And that's when he came to his senses, and he repented. He said, I was such a fool, basically, is what he says. He says, like a beast before thee. And, uh, and, And he repented of his thinking, because he realized that in the long run, these people are worse off he says, surely you set them in slippery places, really in slippery places, because they're actually enjoying life. You know, I think about my own personal testimony, and as a young man, I, I pursued happiness in so many different ways, and, and, and I would travel around and I did things uh, to thinking that I would find happiness in some other employment or in some other state, you know, so I traveled around. I had a long time where I was painting water towers and you know paint water towers in different cities all over and you're going around with this crew this painting crew and I thought this would be the life you know and things of that nature and various things that I did always looking for happiness you know somewhere thinking that I'm going to find that real fulfillment in life with this or that I am so happy today that I never did find it I'm so happy that I didn't light on something in the world that just really just delighted me and, oh, yeah, I'm successful, everything's great, I got this, you know, uh, perfect wife and everything, a nice family and uh, lots of money and everything. There are people like that. There are people like that. And they're enjoying the world and what they have to block out of their mind, and they do, they, they block out, like, it's like they turn, turn a switch off in their mind so they don't ever think about eternity they don't think about God. They don't think about standing before God. They don't, they gotta, and if you try to talk to these people about that, you can see a, a, the blank stare in their face where they, this is an area I'm not going to talk about. You ever run into that when you're trying to witness to me? I mean, they're not interested. They don't want to know because they don't want you breaking into their world because they found that which brings them happiness and hope. They found it. But they found it in this life. And if they would think for, seriously for one minute they would know they can't hang on to it. But, and that's why as a young man here, I'm 21 years old, the guy comes and presents the gospel to me in the factory where I was working, and, and uh, I just meditated, I thought, yeah, you know, really, Al, you haven't done so great, have you? <laughs> you know, you, 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 you run your life the way you, you want to run it, and really hasn't turned out so good, has it? You're not really, you haven't found anything yet, have you? And so I realized the vanity of life and the emptiness of it and, 
It's just how much I really needed Christ. I'm so glad. For, I, I look back at this now and say, I'm glad that everything was dashed. Every plan I ever made was dashed because God used that to bring me to Christ, you know. But in the Christian life as well, I think it's some of the chastening things that I've gone through and the heartaches that really caused me great heartache. And some of you know about some of these things. And But I look back and I say, well, Lord, I'm closer to you now. I'm more sanctified. I... You know, God used these things to humble me and things like that. And, and so, you know, uh, what a, you know, that's really the perspective that we need to have, the, the big perspective like Asaph finally had. And, and so, um, um, think of the rich man and Lazarus, the example of the rich man and Lazarus in, in Luke 16. Rich man, he's, he's got everything. Everything's great. And, and uh, uh, poor Lazarus, he's laid, says, at his gate, full of sores and just desiring to be fed from the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Now, if you were to walk by that scene, and you see this, and you say you're walking with, you're strolling with your wife down the road and looking at the big houses, you know, you ever done that? You know, you see, look at that big house, look at that big house, you know. And uh, they're strolling down the road and they see this rich man's palace and and, and they know who he is and everything. They say, yeah, that's, that's where so-and-so lives. And man, he's, he's, he is so wealthy, you know. And, and he's got royal blood, too. He dresses in purple and all that. He's got everything. Uh, God must really love him. I mean, that must, he must really be, uh, he must really be close to God, you know. And uh, look at the Lazarus. Look at that pitiful, look at that pitiful thing. And I said, boy, what did he do in life, you know? You know, God's, you know, he did something. God's really punishing him. But people think that way. People think that way today about people that are going through serious troubles. <laughs> they'll, they'll say, ah, you, got, you had it coming to you some way. But, you know, the real perspective is given to us, you know, in that parable when Jesus said the rich man died. And he lifted up his eyes being in torment. And here he was in hell. And Lazarus died. And it says God sent a band of angels. That's why that old story, a band of angels coming after me. That's from that passage right there because it says angels, plural. God wouldn't entrust Lazarus' soul to one angel. You know, one angel could kill 185,000 soldiers. But one angel wasn't enough for God to trust the soul of Lazarus says he sent angels, plural. I don't know how many, but I just think it's precious when I think about that, how God sent angels to harvest his soul, bring him into paradise where he would be comforted for all eternity. And, and so, you know, what is the real perspective when you walk by and see this suffering man and you see this rich man, what's the real perspective? What's the reality of it? The reality of it is that God loves Lazarus. His heart is full of love for Lazarus. And the rich man, he's one of those that has his portion in this life. He has no use for God. And at the end of the story, as you may recall, remember he wants to send Lazarus to warn his brothers that they might not come to this place of torment. And, and Abraham says, no, he says, uh, you can't be doing that. And uh, uh, Moses says, well, wait, what Moses says is they have Moses and the prophets. Let your brothers hear them. Let them hear them. And, and Lazarus knew very well they despise the word of God. 
And, I mean, not Lazarus, but the rich man. He knew very well. They, they despised or He said, no, no, Father Abraham. No, he said no to God's words, what he said. But let one come back from the dead and they'll believe. Remember what Abraham said? He said, if they will not believe Moses and the prophets, neither will they believe the one rise from the dead. He's predicting his own resurrection. And that's what we have in our own day. Just, you know, you could, you could have, some people will say, well, I'd believe in God if I could, if he'd just show himself. If he would just reveal himself to me, I'd believe in God. You think, really? You go out there and you look, you look around at the, the wonders of God's creation, you're going to say God hasn't revealed himself? I mean, that's an insult in itself to say God hasn't revealed. But what they want is some supernatural miracle. But as was proved in the lifetime of Jesus, seeing, seeing real, real bona fide supernatural miracles would not convert a person that's hardened against the Lord Jesus Christ. That was proved in the lives of the Pharisees, wasn't it? So, so let's, let's just consider just for a minute uh, how does the Word of God bring hope to the soul. Well, first of all, the word of God brings hope to our soul by the first of all bringing us fear. Remember that second stanza in Amazing Grace uh, was grace that taught my heart to fear and grace my fears relieved. And so it begins by convicting us of sin, showing us the, our need of Christ and, uh, and, and, and how much we, uh, we deserve punishment. We need the Lord Jesus Christ. And then and only then the word of God brings us hope with the promise of the gospel, the promise, the fulfillment of the gospel. And uh, I think of 1 Timothy 1.15, this is a faithful saying, worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. There's a message of hope there. If you're a sinner, God has came, God has come to save you. So notice them, Notice then to whom the hope is given in this, in this passage that we're looking at. He says, your servant. He identifies himself, he says, as his servant. And remember your word, the word to your servant. You see, in true salvation, we're changed from servants of sin to servants of God. We who were once rebels against that law are now willing and happy to be subject to God's law. What a change in our lives. I, I think about the change in my life. Why do I now regard the law of God and, and want to obey God? Whereas before my conversion, all I wanted was to obey my own lusts and desires and pleasures. And I don't care about the law of God. The law of God meant nothing to me before my conversion. What happened? Well, what happened is I was born again. The Holy Spirit changed me. He changed me. Uh, to, to be in a servant to sin, to a servant to, to Christ. So he says, remember the word to your servant, to your servant. In true salvation, we're changed. Uh, in any teaching that makes a person think that they can have Christ as their Savior without having Christ as their Lord is a false gospel. And it is rampant today, all through the world, especially in America. I mean, I minister at the Rockford Rescue Mission a lot, and, and as I run into this so often, where, where guys have a, they actually have assurance of salvation, and they're living in sin, and they have no remorse for it. They have no desire for righteousness. They're not servants of Christ in any sense of the word, and yet they think they're going to go to heaven, and they really think that, because some preachers lied to them 
It said, you can have Jesus as Savior, but you, know, you can take him as Lord, and that's optional. Listen, they come together. And I'm, I know you all know that. You've been well taught. But, but it, just, it just underscores that. Even this verse underscores it. Remember the word to your servant and upon which you've caused me to hope. Um, so I want to consider the petition itself for just a moment. He says, remember your word. Remember your word. Now, does God need to be reminded of his promises? <laughs> does God need to, does he forget? Does somehow God forget? We're going to say, Lord, you've got to remember this. Well, of course not. He doesn't need to be reminded. He doesn't need to be reminded, but he wants to be reminded. This is how the soul of man interacts in faith with God. We're asking him to remember his promises to us, and in so doing, we're also reminding ourselves of those very promises. And this is our comfort in the Christian life. Look at the next verse, verse 50. It says, This is my comfort in my affliction, for your word has given me life. See, I have this comfort when I'm afflicted. Your word, your word has given me life. It's given me everything in my life. So we not only need to trust in God's word for the promise of salvation, but we also need to trust him for everything else in our lives. And that's the struggle of the Christian life, to continue to trust God and to live out our faith, isn't it? And it's amazing how inconsistent we can be. And so we need to remind ourselves of God's promises. And, you know, and um, for example, when we're troubled about temporal needs, we, we might pray, Lord, remember your promise to me that if I seek your kingdom first, that, uh, uh, that all these things will be added to me. Uh, when we're oppressed by our enemies, we can pray, Lord, remember your promise to me that you'd spread a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And in the time of trouble, you'd hide me in your pavilion and in the secret place of your tabernacle. I've combined Psalms 23, 27, and 91 when I say those things. But all these things are promises of God to the believer. Or how about when we just feel weak and overwhelmed? Do you ever feel just weak and overwhelmed? Well, Philippians 4.13, remember, Lord, your, your promise, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Or when God's direction, we need God's direction, and we need guidance, uh, you know, in a time when we feel perplexed and confused. What do I do, Lord? What do I do? Well, we can pray, remember your promise that you'd give me wisdom so long as I ask it in faith. And your promise that if I would acknowledge you in all my ways, that you would in turn direct my paths. James chapter 1 and Proverbs chapter 2. But you get the idea, don't you? Uh, we, we never get to the place when we don't need the hope that we can get only from remembering the promises of God's word. And specifically from his, this faithful word upon which he causes us to hope. Uh, for, for the Christian... When we do that, we're reminding God and ourselves of his promises, that should be the end of the matter. But it isn't really the case, usually, is it? <laughs> it isn't worry and uh, waking and fretting over uh, troubles and heartaches. Um, I know my experience, sometimes when I'm going through a really fiery trial, is uh, I'll pray, I'll put it in the Lord's hands, and 
And I still start fretting about it. You know, while I'm praying, I feel a heart of peace. I'm, that burden is just lifted. I don't know if you ever experienced that. You know, you're praying, you, you just say, oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you for this. It really feels good just to lay my burden down. And, and I get up from my knees and I go about my day and pretty soon I start picking that burden up again. <laughs> and I, don't, I don't consistently keep it there at the foot of the cross. Uh, we, need to, we need to remember that God is... Uh, uh, God is faithful. Um, uh, we know that God is faithful. We know that. And, uh, but somehow we feel that somehow we'll be overlooked this time. You know, God, you helped me through this trial, but this one's different. You know, I don't know about this one. And, and it's amazing how we, we sometimes, or at least myself, I know I struggle in that way. But remember, we need to remember that God is faithful, and we can remind him of his own faithfulness, and that builds our own faith when we do that. One of the most effective prayers in all the Bible was prayed by a man who was not schooled in prayer at all. Maybe he'd never prayed before in his life. There was no eloquence in it at all. But the most, one of the most effective prayers in the Bible was the thief on the cross. When he said the same thing, he asked God to remember him. He said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. You know, and there's never been a prayer more effective because right then and there he got his answer. Today, you'll be with me in paradise. You know, uh, what, a, what a blessed God we serve. What a gracious gospel. We need to be, beware of putting our hope in the fleeting things of this world. And this verse is a reminder of where our real hope needs to come from. Uh, if we have a broken heart, the comfort of man is so inadequate to meet the needs of our soul. But Christ, he has everything for us. And um, he says, a broken and a contrite heart he will not despise. We need to take comfort in that. Take comfort in all these things. Uh, everything in his word. And God, there's different verses that will bring comfort to different people in here. And uh, maybe some of you have favorite verses that have brought you comfort in times of hard trial. Well, I just counsel you to meditate on those things. Remember, and remember how God has brought you through them. And the next time a trial comes up, just remind yourself, God was faithful before. He'll be faithful again. Let's pray. Our Father... We thank you so much. And we thank you that you do remember the word to your servants upon which you have caused us to hope. And we do thank you that you have caused us to hope. Oh, Lord, what an what a abundant hope there is in Christ. And we pray that each and every one of us would remember these things and you would bless us and remove all anxiety, all earthly uh, sorrow, as we cast ourselves upon you and upon your abundant and, and, and wonderful promises to us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.